Chapter One, Part Two of Castle Rackrent by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Then we were all bustle in the house, which made me keep out of the way, for I walk slow and hate a bustle. But the house was all hurry scurry, preparing for my new master. Sir Murta, I forgot to notice, had no children, so the Rackrent estate went to his younger brother, a young dashing officer who came amongst us before I knew for the life of me whereabouts I was, in a gig or some of them things, with another spark along with him, and led horses and servants and dogs, and scarce a place to put any Christian of them into, for my late lady had sent all the feather-beds off before her, and blankets and household linen down to the very knife-cloths on the cars to Dublin, which were all her own, lawfully paid for, out of her own money. Footnote. Childa, this is the manner in which many of Thady's rank, and others in Ireland, formerly pronounced the word children. End of footnote. So the house was quite bare, and my young master, the moment ever he set foot in it out of his gig, thought all those things must come of themselves i believe for he never looked after anything at all but harum scarum called for everything as if we were conjurers or he in a public house for my part i could not bestir myself anyhow i had been so much used to my late master and mistress all was upside down with me and the new servants in the servants hall were quite out of my way i had nobody to talk to and if it had not been for my pipe and tobacco, should, I verily believe, have broken my heart for poor Sir Murta. But one morning my new master caught a glimpse of me as I was looking at his horse's heels, in hopes of a word from him. And is that old Thady, says he, as he got into his gig? I loved him from that day to this. His voice was so like the family and he threw me a guinea out of his waistcoat pocket, as he drew up the reins with the other hand, his horse rearing too. I thought I never set my eyes on a finer figure of a man, quite another sort from Sir Murta, though withal, to me, a family likeness. A fine life we should have led, had he stayed amongst us, God bless him. He valued a guinea as little as any man. Money to him was no more than dirt, and his gentleman and groom and all belonging to him the same. But the sporting season over, he grew tired of the place, and having got down a great architect for the house, and an improver for the grounds, and seen their plans and elevations, he fixed a day for settling with the tenants, but went off in a whirlwind to town, just as some of them came into the yard in the morning. A circular letter came next post from the new agent, with news that the master was sailed for England, and he must remit five hundred pounds to Bath for his use before a fortnight was at an end. Bad news still for the poor tenants, no change still for the better with them. Sir Kit Rackrent, my young master, left all to the agent and though he had the spirit of a prince, and lived away to the honour of his country abroad, which I was proud to hear of, what were we the better for that at home? The agent was one of your middlemen, 
who grind the face of the poor, and can never bear a man with a hat upon his head. He ferreted the tenants out of their lives, not a week without a call for money, drafts upon drafts from Sir Kit. But I laid it all to the fault of the agent, for, says I, what can Sir Kit do with so much cash, and he a single man? Footnote. Middlemen. There was a class of men termed middlemen in Ireland, who took large farms on long leases from gentlemen of landed property, and let the land again in small portions to the poor as under-tenants at exorbitant rents. The head landlord, as he was called, seldom saw his under-tenants, but if he could not get the middleman to pay him his rent punctually, he went to his land and drove the land for his rent. That is to say, he sent his steward or bailiff or driver to the land to seize the cattle, hay, corn, flax, oats, or potatoes belonging to the under-tenants, and proceed to sell these for his rents. It sometimes happened that these unfortunate tenants paid their rent twice over, once to the middleman and once to the head landlord. The characteristics of middlemen were servility to his superiors and tyranny towards his inferiors. The poor detested this race of beings. In speaking to them, however, they always used the most abject language and the most humble tone and posture. Please, Your Honour, and please Your Honour's Honour, they knew must be repeated as a charm at the beginning and end of every equivocating, exculpatory, or supplicatory sentence, and they were much more alert in doffing their caps to those new men than to those of what they call good old families. A witty carpenter once termed these middlemen journeymen gentlemen. End of footnote. But still it went. Rents must be all paid up to the day, and afore. No allowance for improving tenants, no consideration for those who had built upon their farms. No sooner was a lease out, but the land was advertised to the highest bidder. All the old tenants turned out, when they spent their substance, in the hope and trust of a renewal from the landlord. All was now let at the highest penny to a parcel of poor wretches, who meant to run away, and did so after taking two crops out of the ground. Then fining down the year's rent came into fashion. See Glossary 16. Anything for the ready penny, and with all this, and presents to the agent and the driver, see Glossary 17, there was no such thing as standing it. I said nothing, for I had a regard for the family, but I walked about thinking, if his honour Sir Kit knew all this, it would go hard with him, but he'd see us righted. Not that I had anything for my own share to complain of, for the agent was always very civil to me when he came down into the country, and took a great deal of notice of my son Jason. Jason Quirk, though he be my son, I must say was a good scholar from his birth, and a very cute lad. I thought to make him a priest, see Glossary 18, but he did better for himself, seeing how he was as good a clerk as any in the county. The agent gave him his rent accounts to copy, which he did first of all for the pleasure of obliging the gentleman, 
and would take nothing at all for his trouble, but was always proud to serve the family. By and by, a good farm bounding us to the east fell into his honour's hands, and my son put in a proposal for it. Why shouldn't he, as well as another? The proposal all went over to the master at the bath, who, knowing no more of the land than the child unborn, only having once been out a-grousing on it, before he went to England, and the value of lands, as the agent informed him, falling every year in Ireland, his honour wrote over in all haste a bit of a letter, saying he left it all to the agent, and that he must let it as well as he could, to the best bidder to be sure, and send him over two hundred pounds by return of post. With this the agent gave me a hint, and I spoke a good word for my son, and gave out in the country that nobody need bid against us. So his proposal was just the thing, and he a good tenant, and he got a promise of an abatement in the rent after the first year, for advancing the half-year's rent at signing the lease, which was wanting to complete the agent's two hundred pounds by the return of the post. With all which my master wrote back, he was well satisfied. About this time we learnt from the agent, as a great secret, how the money went so fast, and the reason of the thick coming of the master's drafts. He was a little too fond of play, and Bath, they say, was no place for no young man of his fortune, where there were so many of his own countrymen too, hunting him up and down, day and night, who had nothing to lose. At last, at Christmas, the agent wrote over to stop the drafts, for he could raise no more money on bond or mortgage, or from the tenants, or anyhow, nor had he any more to lend himself, and desired at the same time to decline the agency for the future, wishing Sir Kit his health and happiness, and the compliments of the season. For I saw the letter before ever it was sealed, when my son copied it. When the answer came, there was a new turn in the affairs, and the agent was turned out, and my son Jason, who had corresponded privately with his honour occasionally on business, was forthwith desired by his honour to take the accounts into his own hands, and look them over till further orders. It was a very spirited letter, to be sure. Sir Kit sent his service, and the compliments of the season, in return to the agent and he would fight him with pleasure to-morrow or any day for sending him such a letter if he was born a gentleman which he was sorry for both their sakes to find too late he was not then in a private postscript he condescended to tell us that all would be speedily settled to his satisfaction and we should turn over a new leaf for he was going to be married in a fortnight to the grandest heiress in england and had only immediate occasion at present for two hundred pounds, as he would not choose to touch his lady's fortune for travelling expenses home to Castle Rackrent, where he intended to be, wind and weather permitting, early in the next month, and desired fires and the house to be painted, and the new building to go on as fast as possible, for the reception of him and his lady before that time with several words besides in the letter, which we could not make out, because, God bless him, he wrote in such a flurry. 
my heart warmed to my new lady when i read this i was almost afraid it was too good news to be true but the girls fell to scouring and it was well they did for we soon saw his marriage in the paper to a lady with i don't know how many tens of thousand pounds to her fortune then i watched the post office for his landing and the news came to my son of his and the bride being in dublin and on the way home to castle rackrent we had bonfires all over the country expecting him down the next day and we had his coming of age still to celebrate which he had not time to do properly before he left the country therefore a great ball was expected and great doings upon his coming as it were fresh to take possession of his ancestor's estate i never shall forget the day he came home we had waited and waited all day long till eleven o'clock at night and i was thinking of sending the boys to lock the gates and giving them up for that night when there came the carriages thundering up to the great hall door i got the first sight of the bride for when the carriage door opened just as she had set her foot on the steps i held the flam full in her face to light her see glossary nineteen at which she shut her eyes but i had a full view of the rest of her and greatly shocked i was for by that light she was little better than a blackamoor and seemed crippled but that was only sitting so long in the chariot you're kindly welcome to castle rackrent my lady says i recollecting who she was did your honour hear of the bonfires his honour spoke never a word nor so much as handed her up the steps he looked to me no more like himself than nothing at all i know i took him for the skeleton of his honour i was not sure what to say next to one or t'other but seeing she was a stranger in a foreign country i thought it but right to speak cheerful to her so i went back again to the bonfires my lady says i as she crossed the hall there would have been fifty times as many but for fear of the horses and frightening your ladyship jason and i forbid them please your honour with that she looked at me a little bewildered will i have a fire lighted in the state-room to-night was the next question i put to her but never a word she answered so i concluded she could not speak a word of english and was from foreign parts the short and long of it was i couldn't tell what to make of her so i left her to herself and went straight down to the servants hall to learn something for certain about her sir kit's own man was tired but the groom set him a-talking at last and we had it all out before ever i closed my eyes that night the bride might well be a great fortune she was a jewish by all accounts who are famous for their great riches i had never seen any of that tribe or nation before and could only gather that she spoke a strange kind of english of her own that she could not abide pork or sausages and went neither to church or mass mercy upon his honour's poor soul thought i what will become of him and his and all of us with his heretic blackamoor at the head of castle rackrent estate i never slept a wink all night for thinking of it but before the servants i put my pipe in my mouth and kept my mind to myself 
for I had a great regard for the family, and after this, when strange gentlemen's servants came to the house and would begin to talk about the bride, I took care to put the best foot foremost, and passed her for a nabob in the kitchen, which accounted for her dark complexion and everything. End of chapter 1, part 2